I love the 200 milers and uh, the conversations that you can have late in those in those uh, races when you're so delirious that uh, dreams are intruding on reality. Yeah, you put up with me during that, so this should be a walk <laughs> in the park by comparison. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not a gazelle person. I'm a, you know me. I'm a short, stocky dude. I weigh 175 and I'm five foot six. You know, um, <laughs> I, I'm mostly just a block of meat. You're listening to the Run the Riot podcast, where we talk about all things ultra running. I'm your host, David Terrio, and man, I'm pumped that you are here. Let's see what we can get into today. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Run the Riot podcast, and today we have a special guest, Mr. 100 Miler himself, Walter Hanloser. Yeah, we get into the weeds on this one, man. We talk about uh, his journey into running. Uh, we talk about uh, Triple Crown of 200s and get into some pretty good specifics and some just good uh, good tips I picked up along the way just talking to Walt about his journey doing the Triple Crown of 200s, and then we get into uh, his journey this year of breaking the record. I believe at the time that this comes out he should be doing or just have completed um, number 44 of 50 100 milers this year pretty amazing uh, walt is an interesting guy good guy and i hope you enjoy take a listen Today on the Run the Riot podcast, we have a guy who runs a little bit. Um, his name is uh, Walter Hanloser, and um, I met Walt at uh, Tahoe 200. And uh, Walt, um, yeah, we had an interesting conversation then. But uh, welcome to the show, man. <laughs> Thank you, David. Yeah, uh, we um, it, that was a that was a truly truly interesting experience. I I love the 200 milers and. Uh, the conversations that you can have late in those in those uh, races when you're so delirious that uh, dreams are intruding on reality, yeah, you put up with me during that, so this should be a walk <laughs> in the park by comparison. Yeah, man. Well, hey, look, uh, t- you were kind of um, w- we talked a good bit at the beginning part too, so I mean, those conversations were <laughs> pretty out there too. So don't, you can't use the distance, man. <laughs> that's fair. That's that's absolutely true. Guilty as charged. <laughs> well, let's start from way from the beginning, man. How long yeah. ha- you haven't been running all that long, right? How long have no, you been at it? No. So yeah, um, I started running. Um, I started running after I lost a fair bit of weight. I lost like 105 pounds. So I, uh, when I when I got back to a, a decent weight for a person who's only five foot six, um. I, uh, I started running again because I always kind of love that, and I sort of pushed the distance out until I did my first marathon in 2014. Okay. Um, and then I did my first ultra in 2015, and then I did my first hundred in 2016. So it's been a pretty quick progression. Gotcha, gotcha. So what was your uh, what was your first hundred? Uh, first hundred was Run Rabbit Run. Uh, oh, okay. In so. Steamboat Springs. So in uh, in true Walt fashion, you you picked an easy one, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've never been one to like wade into the shallow end. 
except ironically in real pools in in a real pool i i am absolutely a wade into the shallow end person i don't understand those people that jump into the deep end but in everything in everything metaphorical i i go in with both feet straight into the deep end so yeah um i wanted a um the the, the story behind it is actually kind of funny um you know because i had when i first was when it first was suggested to me that i should try a hundred mile race I had just failed to run my first attempt at a, a marathon. So my, oh, my wow. very first attempt in 2013 when I tried to run a marathon, uh, I I was terrible. I, I didn't train. I didn't really do anything. I just sort of went out there and started running, and I didn't eat or drink for 23 miles, and then I just collapsed, and I couldn't make it the last three miles despite you know it only being three miles. Um, so, terrible. yeah, I was an idiot. I mean, I was the... <laughs> I was a pretty standard, you know, young idiot. But um, so so someone suggested to me at my gym, someone who ran ultras, they said to me, you know, you may consider that you might be better at, at longer distances. And I said, well, what do you mean longer distances? And he's like, well, I, I think you might try a hundred mile race. And I'm like, wait, hold on. <laughs> Did you see what happened just last week at the at the marathon? I was... I was not in good shape, but that was 23 miles. You, you want me to run more than four times that? Uh, hold on there. Yeah. Uh, but because I'm a stubborn person, it got lodged in my head, and eventually I kind of got it in my head that, well, maybe I, maybe I could, right? Especially after yeah. I ran my first marathon, I said, oh, maybe the, maybe that's correct. Maybe I can. And so I kind of set my sights on Zion as my first hundred and I said, Oh, Zion, it's, it's kind of legendary, right? You know, just yeah, the yeah. Zion 100. It's a, sounds yeah. like a big deal. Certainly. Yeah. And I, I, lo I loved it when I eventually did run it, but I, I set my, my sights. I said, okay, by, um, by 2018, I want to run the Zion 100 as my first hundred mile race. Hmm. So I said, <laughs> it, this is what I'm going to do. So a little time goes by and I say to myself, Hey, you know what? That's in 2017. Let's make 2017 sounds like a much better time to run my first hundred mile race because I'm impatient. I mean, once I get something in my head, I'm just gonna, uh, I'm just gonna push for it. And yeah, so now just 20, get it. 20, yeah, right. 2017 Zion was now my goal. And then in 2016, I volunteered at Western States for the first time. Oh, I and, didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and and that uh, I fell completely and totally in love. Um, mm. I, I said to myself, this is, this is where I want to be. This is, um, you know, from that point on, I realized that like that weekend is, is functionally occupied for the rest of my life. That's, that's where I want to be. <laughs> I want to either be running or volunteering there. And I've volunteered every year there since, but I, I but I also realized like, oh, I, I better start getting my name in the hat. And 2017 Zion is not going to be good enough to get my name in the hat for 2017 Western States. So I, I better schedule something sooner than Zion. And so I did what a lot of people do, which is I scheduled one of the two races that happens on the very last day. Um, nice. The two races that happen on the very last day are Pinhoti and um, Rio del Lago. So West Western people do Rio del Lago. East Coast people do do uh, Pinhoti. Um well, I, so I chose Rio del Lago. Um, I was like, okay, cool. I, I now have a I now have a Western States qualifier. But then, like, some time went by, and I said, like, wait a second, though. Like, 
that's the only chance I'm going to get. Like, what if I suck? What if I go yeah. and I just, I'm just terrible <laughs> or like I crash like I did at my first marathon? I'm not going to get a second chance before uh, 2017. I better schedule something else. And so then I went and threw my name in the hat in the wait list for Run Rabbit Run. And two we- I think it was like two weeks before the race started, I they drew my name. And I was like, well, I, I guess now Zion is going to be my third hundred mile race <laughs> so it went from i'm going to run a first hundred mile race in 2018 to by the time 2017 rolled around i was running my third wow. mile race so nice nice yeah well li- little did you know then that in 2018 <laughs> you'd be running the triple crown of 200s <laughs> well so here's the funny thing like yeah i mean totally totally like i, I would have I would have said, you know, you're, whoever says I'm going to do this is an idiot, right? Except that I recently looked back at my at uh, my calendar from from 2016 when I ran um, uh, when I ran all these races, and like even then I was stringing stuff together. Like I, I ran. Um, I ran Cherry Canyon 50 miler in San Luis Obispo, my hometown. That was the week before Run Rabbit Run. <laughs> nice. Like even then, I was doing dumb stuff. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I was not. It was not an unusual thing for me. Or the, the the Rio del Lago. The very next weekend, I ran the Bakersfield Marathon. Wow. Ran ran it pretty good too. Ran it faster than I can now. Certainly, I ran a 3:21 there. Like, um, you know, like I was just doing dumb. Like dumb stuff is just apparently it's my native language. And I've been doing it ever since I very I started running. Um, yeah. Well, well, and and I'm I'm looking right now. I'm I'm scrolling. You know, my my, my fingers hurting from scrolling through your ultra sign up. But um, <laughs> so <laughs> so so yeah. 2000 then 2017. I'm looking at that, and yeah, you did. And then 2017, you ran San Diego, Tahoe Rim Trail. Tahoe 200. <laughs> like, and, that, and that doesn't show the fact that I was also still committed to running um, a marathon pretty much every month that that year. So, oh, that's uh, true. I forgot you did that. Yeah. Yeah, the marathons <laughs> don't show up there. Like I did Reading in January. I did Surf City in uh, in February. Napa in March. Uh, you know, like I, I did a bunch of other stuff too. I, I ran. I, I think I ran like eight or nine marathons that year. Um, and then I subbed in 50 K's for some other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so. I see. Yeah. And then you, you, your last hundred in 2017 was the bear, uh, uh another e- really easy one there. So oh, totally. you... <laughs> you know, the, the bear, I love the bear and I suggest the bear to everyone. Um, but, uh, I ran the bear, uh, after tearing my meniscus at Angeles crest 100 <laughs> So so I tore my my meniscus at Angeles Crest 100 and it it, it was my first 100 mile DNF. Um, I was just really devastated as one might imagine, right? You know, everyone's yeah. devastated their first uh, their first DNF. But like I, I I like I took a week off and then I took another week off and then I ran a 50k <laughs> and d- did moderately well and then I took another week off and then I ran the Tahoe 200. And then I took another week off, and then I ran a 50K, and then I ran the bear immediately after that, and then I ran a marathon immediately after that. 
So like, and and that was all in the time between uh, tearing my meniscus and the surgery, which happened at the end of October for that torn meniscus. So <laughs> I um, okay. I'm an idiot. Yeah, well, as I said, yeah, stupid okay. is my native language. <laughs> yeah, so that's why that's why in September the bear is your last uh, 100-miler for, for 2017 because you actually had surgery and had to <laughs> – had did, to... yes. <laughs> nice, nice. There would have been more. Yes. So, yeah. So, okay, so – so you had you had surgery on your meniscus the end of 2017, and it looks like from from an ultra perspective, you um yeah well you you ran the uh, a trail a 28 mile trail run, uh in uh St Louis I don't even know how to pronounce it Abispo St Louis Abispo my, my hometown yeah, oh, okay I ran okay the La Cuesta 50k um that okay. was actually closer to a marathon, uh and that was uh, that was in January yeah gotcha so that was like yeah. my first time back. All right, so yeah, your meniscus is healing back up. When okay, and I'm and I'm looking at the other stuff you got here. When did you know that you were gonna do the triple crown of two hundreds in two thousand eighteen? Oh, de- uh, definitely the moment I did I finished Tahoe two hundred. <laughs> okay, okay, so that was already that was already on your sights when you were you know you you're finishing out two thousand seventeen having surgery. You you knew that that was kind of where you were going in 2018, right? Well, like I I don't know if uh, did you do any 200s before um, we encountered each other? Or have you done? Did you triple crown or did you just do? No, I just I just did Tahoe 200. I'll be tri- I'll be triple crown in 2020. So yes, so so I imagine that you like me kind of knew that at some point you could probably wanted to do the triple crown. For me, yeah. t- Tahoe two. Oh, sorry, didn't did mean to interrupt mm-hmm. there. No, 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 no. That's I was just gonna say. Since I did the Tahoe 200, like I have not been able to get my brain away from. For, and and I'm guessing it might be that might have been the same for you. Like I, I've got to do the Triple Crown. Like I just I can't get away from it. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, that, okay. That's absolutely how it is. Um, that there's something about that distance and that challenge and those particular races. They're magical. I mean, they they really are. Uh, and I knew I wanted to do them at some point just because they sort of existed as a thing out there. You know, <laughs> yeah. You hear about the triple crown of 200. Oh, it's a big deal. And it is a big deal. Yeah. But um, uh, I was actually supposed to do uh, Pine de Palm uh, in mm. September of 27 or 20, September of 2017 when I did the Tahoe 200. But mm. Pine de Palm burned that year. Oh, so yeah, I yeah. Yeah, I wound up signing up last minute for the Tahoe 200 because I thought <laughs> if I'm going to do the two, the Triple Crown one of these days, I should learn what these things are like, make sure I actually want to do it. And once I did the Tahoe, once I did the Tahoe 200, it's game over. I mean, that thing steals your heart. And yeah. uh, I, I knew immediately that, you know, I actually have uh, on my calendar, uh, I, I have notes like from right around that time of noting when the registration opened up for the for all the 200s <laughs> so i can tell it was it was immediate uh yeah you know so yeah i mean the the tahoe 200 is is beautiful and deserves all the credit that it gets and bigfoot is equally epic and moab i think is probably one of the most strange and epic experiences <laughs> you can have in the in the u.s west um Hmm. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I knew pretty much immediately that I was going to do it. And, and now I know I'm going to go back. Like I, I planned a triple crown again in 2021. So, nice. 
um yeah it's a it's a beautiful experience i think yeah yeah i I, i'm so looking forward to it i i enjoy and and with what you you're going through this year i bet you uh, and i'll let you uh, respond to it man but like never having been to a place i had never been to tahoe before and even next year i've never been to to washington uh i've never been even to utah and uh but i like you know just going to i had never been to the grand canyon and decided to you know do the rim to rim to rim and show up and then do it and what what a cool way to experience an area man <laughs> you you hit the nail on the head there i mean i really think that these are amazing ways to learn a place you yeah. know you just get so much out of it when you see a place from the ground and cover all of it in in a very human speed mm-hmm. right you're going through through something uh, at a car's speed, you're just skipping over so much that because I mean, ultimately, even though mountains are gigantic and the world is very grand, um, life happens on a on the, this kind of scale that we move around at on our feet. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You, the, all the detail is as is as minute as you want to get. There's no there's no loss of fidelity or beauty when when seeing things at three miles an hour. You know, it's just a just you get a lot more of it and absorb it and it's, it's incredible. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I went to, I've, I went into Western States, never having been to Tahoe, um, mm. in my first volunteering at Western States, never having been to Tahoe. Um, I went into, uh, Moab 240, never having been to Moab. Mm. Um, I went into Bigfoot 200, uh, only briefly having ever been to Washington and never seeing Mount St. Helens before. Mm. That yeah. starts on, on the slopes of Mount St. Helens. So yeah, it's a oh, it's such a great way to see a place, and the the fact that you get to be constantly surprised. Yeah, just immersed oh, in it. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's, it's it's hard to beat. Well, well, so so 2018, you you did you did um uh you did Tahoe um and well actually 2017 you did Tahoe for the first time and how how many hundreds did you do in 2017? Oh, I don't even count, aren't you? Well, that's that's uh, all right. It's all right. You you have a few on there, man. <laughs> uh, four. I had four. Okay, plus four four hundreds plus plus Tahoe. Yeah, four hundreds, and then I did like a couple of hundred Ks. I did, um, yeah. you know, Quicksilver for the first time, which has, I've gone back to again. Mm-hmm. Um, I did Sean O'Brien, which is a fantastic race mm-hmm. again. I was really, you know, kind of West Coast centric at this point. Um, yeah. I look at all these, and these are all, you know, stuff around the around uh, California, with one exception, and that is that I I drove across country and did George Death Race and then Zion 100. Yeah. Nice. So. Yeah. So so you, you get through 2017, and I see the bear there again, <laughs> and um. 2017 then you go into 2018 you know you're gonna do the triple crown uh and i see all these races well just <laughs> leading leading up to it man did you were you very strategic in uh, in uh like were these training for the triple crown or are you just like one just wanting to do races here so so actually i, I went into 2018 with a bit of a plan because I okay didn't, i didn't quite know what was in my future, but I wanted to run the races with more vertical. Um, okay. So I kind of planned that year as kind of a vertical ladder, uh, where my my largest races would have increasing 
like ever increasing verticality. Okay. Um, now, uh, weirdly enough, I went into that year running the Celtic Winter Classic, where I got my PR that still stands to this day. Um, I really desperately want to beat that because it can't be that my absolute best time came just after knee surgery. Like, how is that? I, I hadn't <laughs> trained in months at that point, and if 1821 remains my best time ever, uh, that, that would be a crying shame. So I, I did the Celtic Winter Classic, which is a flat, looped course on a mile on a mile loop. Um, but then after that, it was all about uh, piling on a little bit of vertical. So I went and I did Orcas Island, which mm-hmm. is 25,000 feet of climb, and that was in February. Wow. Um, and then I planned Cruel Jewel as my next major step on that, which has 33,000. Um, and th- so there's a bunch of races that led up to that that were that were like the increasing um, the, the like increasing length training runs for. Yeah. So, so like I had um, the M- Montaigne de Oro 50K, Crown King Scramble 50K, then I went and did Old Goat, in, uh, which is a 50-miler, did another local 50K, and then I moved up to Sono- I did Lake Sonoma 50-miler, mm. um, and then I did the Northern California Grand Slam of 100Ks, which is four weeks, four 100K races. Um, oh, nice. It's really fun, yeah, and and – uh, not coincidentally, I think, because I was in really a well-trained shape at that point, I also knocked my PR for 100K, which I don't think is going anywhere anytime soon because it's a, a fantastic PR. Um, and for me, for not not for not for pros, you ladies out there, <laughs> calm down. I'm just, for, for, for a chunky little guy like me, it was a fantastic time. Um, so that was Ruth Anderson, which not a lot of people know about, but the big ones are Canyons, Me Walk, and Quicksilver. Uh, yeah. And, you know, each one of those being, uh, I believe each one of those is a Western States qualifier. So a lot, a lot of people know about those ones. Um, and then I traveled across country and did Cruel Jewel uh, as kind of the, the cap of this 11 week. Mm-hmm. Actually, at that point, it was 10 week, 10 races uh, succession. And uh, I, I had a great time. I love Cruel Jewel. Um, and uh, it's, it's definitely a race I want to return to. But, um, you know, that was the next step up. And I, I ran a really solid time there. Yeah, and that was yeah. that was actually the first time I realized that I could really benefit, that I was one of those people that, that could run back to back to back to back to back and that I would see a lot of improvement. And unlike a lot of people, I wouldn't, I wouldn't break down as much. Yeah. So I, I ran, you know, a PR and then I took second place at Cruel Jewel. Uh, yeah, all phenomenal. within four weeks of one another. So yeah, I mean, I, I had a very good time there, and it worked out well. Um, and then uh, you know, had some had some fun stuff after that. Uh, but the next step in the in the vertical ladder was Uray. Yeah, so, yeah, that's still on my 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 list, but I, I haven't pulled the trigger on that one yet. <laughs> you, you absolutely should. Um, I mean, it's it's a fantastic race. I'll just say that straight out. Um, I've now run it twice, mm-hmm. um, and I'll be volunteering out there next year uh, because I just I love the area. I'm gonna try and move out there. Um, oh, nice. You know, it's it it's it's one of those places where if if you are a certain type of person, where the mountains just are always calling to some part of you, then mm-hmm. then you Ray will will hold you hostage until you get into it. Um, and it, it did. It, I went there the first time uh, f- 
in in 2018 actually to run my first year a and to to run the john Capus 50k and to volunteer at hard rock and wow yeah you don't i didn't want to leave i felt a, a pang in me when i had to leave colorado for the first time i, I didn't want to wow so so i ran uray that year that was kind of the that was intended to sort of the peak of the uh of the vertical ladder uh because i don't think there's a race in the u.s that's like a major race, not something like Baldy Marathons or Barkley Marathons, but I don't think there's a major race of 100 miles that has more uh, vertical than Ure. Yeah. Um, uh, 42,000. Uh, <sighs> That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> right. It's the same amount of vertical as Bigfoot 200, all crammed into 100 miles. Um, Man. So I, yeah. So I did Ure. I did, then I, while I was out there, I just did High Lonesome. Yeah. Um, a, a week later. Yeah. 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 And then I did Bigfoot <laughs> just a week later. Uh, so nice. it was a, it was an amazing three weeks. Uh, uh, I would not, yeah. I would not give up those three weeks for anything. It was it was just such a fun experience. I mean, um, so yeah. Yeah. Um, so so that was yeah. Bigfoot was the start of your your triple crown there. Um, and I I wanted to ask you because there's there, there are quite a there's a few of us from here that are going to be doing the triple crown next year and um. You know, I hesitate to ask you for advice because because you're so unconventional with what how you do and you know what are you, the things that you're doing and everything. But um, but so you, you did Bigfoot and uh, I was gonna ask you like uh, you did Bigfoot and how your for your first two hundred how did you re, how did your body respond to that? I mean, you had a great time, seventy hours and just under seventy one hours. And yeah, uh, so so that point yeah. Bigfoot was my second. Oh, that's right, that's right, Tahoe. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I knew a lot more about what to expect. Um, for me, the really tough thing in any race is heat, and Bigfoot did not provide very much of that to us uh, okay. that year. So that was nice. I mean, after the initial section, uh, the initial section of Bigfoot has you running in the uh, the St. Helens blast zone, which even now, 40 years later, still feels more or less like the moon. Um, mm. Nothing grows there. You're really exposed. There's just dust blowing everywhere. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's pretty cruddy. Um, <laughs> but you know, you, you put up with that because the sights are amazing. Um, yeah. And you just you know deal with the dehydration. But that was a tough section for me. But after that, you know, Bigfoot is a green tunnel. You know, it's a, mm. it's largely under canopy. You don't get a lot of direct sunlight. You spend a lot of the time somewhere in like the 50 degree range, mm. uh, temperature yeah. wise. And so that was a I, ideal conditions for me. It was only really the um, the sleep that got to me in the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then uh, then you had uh, I see instead of instead of resting, you had a, a couple 50ks before uh, before Tahoe, and this yep. is the Tahoe where where we met. So having done Tahoe. Um, this was your second time, and this one was the reverse. So I jumped in doing it, um, I guess, backwards from the from the regular way. And uh, what was which one was which one did you find easier? Which one was was harder for you? Oh, the reverse is unquestionably the harder way. Okay, yeah. and that's that's what I'm hearing. So I, I'm like, okay, because uh, yeah, like going through Rubicon after what 160 miles or it's, something, and yeah, ah, that was rough. <laughs> it, it is it is rough. It's it's. It deserves like so that when you go through it in the normal way, you pass the Rubicon and 
it almost happens without thought because you know your mind is elsewhere if, especially if like me you're doing it in the normal way as your first 200 you know mm. your mind is churning through a million things and trying to strategize and trying to you know say well how do i feel and how how is this going to play out and and before you know it you're done with rubicon and you're like oh that yeah that was a really tough section i guess but i was so fresh it didn't really matter <laughs> Yeah, but then you you know <laughs> you reverse that around and it's one of the last things you see and you're zombie walking your way across you know oil slicked ro you know rocks that are the size of a large German shepherd. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's suddenly yeah it's not nearly as as breezy of an experience. Yeah, I was I I, went, I got through it and I was going through it at night and with the dust and if uh, it was I felt like I was on the surface of the moon. Um, and it, it's pretty hazy. Like I, I, re I remember bits and pieces, you know, it's just kind of like, kind of like a nightmare you've had and you just remember parts of it and stuff. It's just, absolutely. It was, it was I, I remember, I remember coming across, uh, Sean Nakamura in the middle of the night at the lowest point in, uh, cause you know, the, basically for those who don't know, the, the form of Rubicon is that you drop down for about eight miles and you rise up for about eight miles. Mm -hmm. Um, and at the very bottom, it's just, it's like what, like inch thick dust. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just you land and there's just dust going everywhere, and it's miles and miles of that, and you, uh, it gets in everything and all over everything, and you're just exhausted at that point because you've been going for three days, uh, and, you know, it's, it's insane. Um, and you know, so I came across Sean, and Sean this particular year, Sean at that point was, uh, he wasn't. He was still the, I think, the men's course record holder at that point when we were yeah. running it that year. Um, and yeah. uh, um, he, this year he was trying to run it completely without sleep. <laughs> and when I passed him at in the middle of that section, I I felt so bad for the guy. I I remember, and I I feel bad because I, I his girlfriend was pacing him at that point, Jenny, and uh, and I said to her, can you like can you let him sleep? And she looks at me and she goes, no, <laughs> like, but, but look at the guy. Look, look at him. He looks, I, oh goodness. I can't imagine staying up for three days. And that's what he was do in the middle of doing. Oh man. Yeah. That, that was, uh, I learned a lot about sleeping on that one. Like uh, I'll be a little more strategic with my, uh, with my sleep on that one. And I just have to say on that one, this was okay. This, so this is your, your second of the, the three. And I remember at, uh, I think heavenly, was it heavenly? You were having a really tough time where you took, you had to rest for a while. Um, uh, this time it was the one after heavenly where okay. I, I rest my first time. I, I, yeah, I crashed at heavenly, but the second time I crashed at whatever comes not immediately after that, but like two after that, I think. Um, yeah, you. Yeah, I just remember you were having a you know a tough time, um, and and uh, and so, but you ended up like you 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 finished before I did. You ended up like really rallying, and uh, uh, it's, it's, that's what's really cool about the two hundred. You know, you can have a a really tough patch for a long time and sleep for hours, and then still pop up and you know make up ground. You know, it's pretty pretty amazing. It it is, yeah. I mean, and. That, to a lesser extent, happens in 100 milers, and people, when they first run 100 milers, are really surprised by, like, oh, you know, I I had a low point, and I thought my race was over, but then I pushed through that, and I felt great, and I, I rallied, and everything mm -hmm. came together after X time, 
and they're so surprised when that happens the first time. You know, I I remember I was at a recent race and this guy's like, oh man, I think I think my race is over. And I'm like, you got we were at like the halfway point at that point, and he was on pace for like a about a 22 hour finish. Yeah. And he had 30 hours to do it, and I'm like, no, you're not. You're absolutely <laughs> not. You feel like crap right now, but you could take a full night's sleep and get up and keep moving, and you'd and you'd still finish under the cutoff. You can do this. Like there's there's, in fact, I'll go further and say like that unless you're actually injured, there's just no way you should be stopping right now. Hmm. Um, yeah, there you go. You, know, you, you never want. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing about hundreds and, and beyond. You never want to make your decisions when you're at your low point. Um, yeah. You know, you may feel like crud and you may – but but you have to be conscious of the difference between feeling like crud and genuinely being injured in a way that's going to prevent you from, from going onward. Um, yeah. And that's what a lot of people have to learn. But in 200s, as you were pointing out, that that that's even more extreme. You can actually have several low points and several high points. Um and no matter how low your lows get, you have enough time to strategize a way out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's what uh, that's what I think really sets the 200 mile distance, especially 200 milers with that long of a of a cutoff, with like a hundred plus hour cutoff um, from a 100. What makes it much more of a, a strategic experience? Yeah, and and I don't I don't know if you did did that too, but I I actually planned like at each of the aid stations because they're you know 17 20 miles apart, you know actually spending 20 to 30 minutes to 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 sit down and and eat you know get food you know and just kind of regroup and 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 you can do that you know unless you're yep. really pushing to to win it and and you can kind of you know get some calories down and plan some sleep so it's I don't know it's really really a cool cool distance I love it. Um, too. yeah and and so you did you did tahoe finished finished great and then uh and then you actually took a break before well um on on ultra signups you didn't do any ultras between tahoe and moab so uh um, that's actually not not true okay. uh, yeah no i i ran and i ran a um I went and I ran a single loop at the Baldy Marathons. Um, okay. okay. <laughs> I, I just wanted to go learn the course. Really, I, I was was not too. I was not close enough. Or rather, I was too close to Moab to risk trying the entire Baldy Marathons. For for those who don't know, the Baldy Marathons is a hundred mile race in Southern California with about fifty thousand feet of climb. Um, it at the time it still had uh, no finishers uh, in in seven runnings. Wow. And so I went there, I ran a single lap, and the guy that I ran that single lap with turned out to go on to be the first finisher. Oh, which nice. was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, really cool. Yeah, so it was yeah, it was really neat. I mean, the guy was a just a, a gritty trooper, which is kind of what the Baldy Marathons really takes. Um it's a it's a tough race that takes people, you know, usually now we have three finishers and uh, it takes people usually 50 to 60 hours to, to finish so wow <laughs> um, yeah you're moving very slow and so yeah i, I went there and i just I, I went there to learn the course and i did gotcha. and i intend to go back there to to finish it at some point but uh because i had moab coming up i was like i'm not gonna I'm not gonna make a full attempt at it so yeah i actually took a break nice, nice. <laughs> somewhat of a break yeah <laughs> so 
Yeah. So you did, you did, uh, you did, and you did Moab. And um, um, what was, I mean, what was your experience, you know, running Moab? Just, just in a, in a nutshell, man. Well, you know, Moab is uh, was one of the first places that I learned um, that I am very. So I mentioned earlier, I'm not a good heat runner. Well, it's uh, it turns out I'm not a good cold runner either. It turns out. <laughs> Nice. It turns out I am a consummate Californian. Um, <laughs> I, I run in a fairly narrow pocket of temperature, uh, and colder than that, and I get dangerously cold. And warmer than that, I get just to turn into a hot mess. So Moab was, for the most part, uh, you know, a very beautiful, serene experience until we got to the La Salle Mountains. Um, mm. Basically, the, the format of Moab is you spend it's it's a huge singular loop around around Moab, mm-hmm. seeing pretty much all of the major parks in the area, and uh, you spend the first hundred or so miles running desert flats, and then you climb your first hill right around mile 120, and from the top of that first hill, you can see the second hill. The second hill is at mile 190. Oh, wow. So, and it's just a straight shot. And that second hill is what takes up the entire end of the race, and that is the La Salle Mountains. Um, Moab is an oddity in that it has less climb than either Bigfoot or Tahoe, but it has a higher high point than either Mm. of them. Mm, Uh, You you make it to 10,500 on the La Salles. And in desert environs like that, in, in October, that means that those are very, very, very cold. Um, mm. We had temperatures going down into the single digits. Uh, usually got, I think, I think the the stated temperature, uh, not including things like wind chills that I got, was six. Wow. At, uh, at the uh, the aid station. Um, so we got. And, it, uh, and was, that's toward toward the end of the race, kind you know, mm, where, yeah, where is that cold? When That's you're not well moving real fast. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. So, so you start climbing the LaSalle's at about 190. They actually had to um, redirect the course that year because there was too much snow on the LaSalle's. So we ended up trudging through um, an unbroken path. Just we, we were cutting new a new path through snow. Or I should say the leaders were, but I wasn't that far back from the leaders. So uh, there were, uh, you know, I was maybe cutting through. 10, 10 previous people that had run um, that had run this path, mm. which means that you know I'm still trudging through snow. My my shoes and socks get wet and then refreeze because it's so cold. Uh, and uh, I'm running in the same kind of thing I'd been running in the desert in, which in this case was like little short tights um, <laughs> and a, a, a shirt. And then a light fleece over top because I thought, oh, it's going to be cold up here. I should, I should put on my little light fleece. <laughs> nice. And, it, and I'm running along and it's just getting colder and colder and colder. <laughs> and I'm getting more and more miserable. And I, I've i described this to many runners before, but I, I, I went through in my mind what I call the dumb loop. And the dumb loop is um, – so I, I'm run, here's what I'm running in by this point. I, I had my pack on. And my, my, my waist lamp is actually attached to my pack. It's on the mm. lowest like lowest strap of my pack. And so I'm thinking to myself, I, I really need to put on my 
uh, my pants and my waterproof jacket. But I kind of want to wait till I get to the aid station because at the aid station I can sit and I can multitask. I can I can have food. I can sit in front of a heater. But honestly, I might not make it to the aid station <laughs> unless I put on warmer clothes. So I should put on warmer clothes. But I kind of want to wait till the aid station. <laughs> yeah. And I looped like that for probably close to an hour, just getting slower and slower and colder and colder. And dying slowly. <laughs> I mean, really, I can look, I can look in hindsight. Yeah, you, you joke, <laughs> but I can look in hindsight and say that, yes, this is actually what was happening. I was I was in the my body was in the process of getting cold enough to, you know, where sleep sounded like a good idea. And that's mm. that's death. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I I ended up stopping. Finally, after I broke the dumb loop and taking off my pack. So now I was in complete dark because this is at night. So I'm in complete dark because my pack's now on the ground. Um, and I managed to get the stuff out of my out of my pack and put it on. But now I had to take off my gloves in order to, to have the dexterity to put my stuff on. But now my hands have basically f- like kind of hardened into little claws. And, yeah. And uh, even after I put my like shove the gloves back on, I I don't have the dexterity anymore to re to redo my my bag, like none of the straps or anything. I can't clip them closed, but I need to clip at least one of them closed, and that's the bottom one because without the bottom one, my headlamp is just hanging off to the side, not doing me any good, and I can't <laughs> see and I can't move. So I I ended up you know basically just sitting there in the out in the freezing cold, trying to mentally organize a way to get my my pack back on. And I ended up like pushing it closed with my wrists because my fingers didn't work. And it, it, when I finally heard that click of it click closed, um, I, I might might have cried a little. But I had <laughs> moisture in me, but I did. You're not making that, me real excited about running right, full web, dude. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and I say I didn't have any moisture in me because at that point my my water line had long since frozen. Uh, I hadn't had a drink in probably several hours because I just couldn't draw any water through my frozen line <laughs> um yeah so that was uh, that was the experience and i made and then to find out that by the time i did that little whole experiment i was only about a mile from the aid station oh, and no. <laughs> God, I, I then terrible. i then roll into the aid station i can look in again in hindsight how having now had it several times since i was hypothermic oh, um I, you know i was i was slurring my speech i was i was in a bad shape i um, I tried to eat something, and all that happened was I just got extremely nauseous. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, ended up sleeping there for I think four hours. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so you know, <laughs> I, I now tell people the the one big piece of advice I tell people about Moab is uh, respect the cold and respect yeah. the Lasals. Um, mm-hmm. There's an aid station, so if you're gonna run it, there's an aid station that you'll hit on your way up the Lasals. Um, it does have drop bags. Uh, make that like because there's actually there's one you're gonna hit. You'll you'll like kind of cross a road and you'll hit it. And this is before you begin climbing the Lasalles. And you'll climb up and up and up and up and you'll hit one on the slopes of the Lasalles. And that one on the slopes of the Lasalles, that is where you want to pack your warm stuff. Mm, um, gotcha. You know, even if it means carrying a much heavier pack just for the duration of the Lasalles. What you do then is you just drop them off at Ua Lake. And Ua Lake, the next aid station on there, it will give you the chance to 
if if you're like if you've done your planning well, when you get to Ua Lake, you'll be cold, but not so cold that you can't just now begin to drop some stuff off there and begin the process of basically hauling your butt down the hill because it's all literally all downhill after Ua Lake, and I don't just mean like all downhill to the next aid station. Yes, it is that. It's all downhill for the rest of the entire race. Nice. You got basically 20 miles of downhill ahead of you. Um, yeah. And so you can if you're just blow, a, blow your quads out and get, just get done. <laughs> absolutely. And, you know, it may be that at that point, it's it's still in the middle of the night. It may be dark at that point. But, yeah, you can just do it. You'll be on, you'll be on road for about five or six miles of that. Mm. And then you'll be on beautiful, well-groomed, um, uh, heavily mountain bike trafficked trail after that. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, it, it coming out of Ua Lake is a wonderful experience in running, but only if you've prepared yourself up to that point. <laughs> gotcha. <So, you. laughs> don't be like me. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, I seem to recall um, uh, at Tahoe um, – yeah, I'll just say this, Walt. Um, sometimes you, you uh, you're a tough guy because sometimes you don't make the best decisions. Because <laughs> I remember you running constantly running out of water at Tahoe. <laughs> yep. Yeah, but uh, I remember coming up on you where you had uh, had the I think it was um, uh, a Sawyer or whatever, and you were bent down and sucking through uh, sucking out of a stream or something. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm a, I'm a minimalist, and sometimes that bites me in the butt. Uh, <laughs> it's you know how people say like you know when they when they order too much food, you're like ah oh, my eyes were larger than my stomach. Well, in this case, my eyes are so much smaller than my my kidneys. I think is what. Yeah, you, comes down to, you know? yeah, because because your uh, your your pack was a uh, 50 ounce then, and I was I had a 70 ounce, and I was running out in the heat, you know, when it got hot, and I was I was feeling for you, man. <laughs> But you just kept trucking. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, what else are you going to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man, while we were running Tahoe, so you and I had just met, and I'm meeting this this, this crazy guy, Walt, you know, who's doing the Triple Crown, and, and you shared with me about this uh, this this thing you were planning uh, for 2019 about uh, breaking the world record for the number of, of 100 run in a year. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and um, so after the race kind of, you know, started following you and I'm like, wow, he's looking at spreadsheets. I'm looking at a, a page set up and, and everything else. And I was like, yeah, that crazy sucker's going to do it. <laughs> and uh, and so, man, yeah. And uh, by the way, congratulations, because, you know, was it a uh, weekend before last you officially broke it, right? I did. I did. Yeah, yeah, man, that's amazing, dude. That's, that's I know. It's 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 still blowing my mind, honestly. It really is. I um I remember early in the year when I had just like run two or three and I thought, "Oh my god. What have I what have I gotten myself into? I'm like 5% there. Um I'm this is going to be going on for so long." And, okay, uh, well, we we need we need to pause for a second because yeah. 
because you and and, and you kind of mentioned that you were going to do it this way. All right. And, and I just want to give you super kudos for you laid out your criteria. You spelled it out how it needed to be races. And um, you just your rules were very specific. You wanted to keep everything above board. And, and I was just really impressed with all that because, you, you, you know, you said, here's what I'm going to do and here's how I'm going to do it, you know. And, and so that was that that was just awesome. But you st- <laughs> I'm looking at January 1st and you've got the spine race 268 miles and that's just that that doesn't count as two that's just one you know (laughs) so you know uh, I yeah so (laughs) so so like when I first looked into um when I first started looking into the record for the most hundred milers um I kind of realized that the record was at that like when when Ed went and set it to what it currently was uh, at forty one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he kind of I'm not to, not to say he accidentally did it, but he did it without a lot of a lot of pre prior planning. Um, you know he he realized that the the state of hundred milers in the U S. and especially where he's based in California you know, was good enough where he could, um, maintain a pretty normal life and work and still manage to, you know, travel and do these other, and and do these races, um, and do enough of them to beat what was then the record of 36. Hmm. Um, and it was kind of an informal thing. Um, you know, he, uh, he, he realized that, it was at that place where someone doing it, doing it on a, on a somewhat amateur level. And I say that without any, I consider what I do to be amateur as well. So I don't mean that in any derogatory way, but that someone doing it at an amateur level could still accomplish the world record. And so when I came along and I started looking at it as well, I realized that like, Oh, well, you know, it's still at that point, even at 41, it's still a point where a dedicated amateur who just happens to have the right living situation, a single mm-hmm. dude who lives in a van, um, <laughs> who works remotely, uh, can still do this. It's still it's still within within reason that someone uh, who doesn't devote every second of their life to doing nothing but record breaking can can do that. Uh, right. Marathons haven't been there for a while, you know. The, the current marathon record in a single year is something like 270, I think. Wow, um, yeah. You know, you, you can't do 270 marathons in a year without um, devoting almost your entire life to the logistics of that process. Um, mm-hmm. And the amount of competition out there for people who want that record is high enough where any deviation from a more or less perfect um, – a more or less perfect logistical plot is going to put you out of contention for yeah. it. Uh, hundreds are not like that, you know. Uh, when you're when the record is something like 41, that means that if you say could find a way to do one every weekend, then you would beat the record. Um, you know, you could even miss say five or so from doing it every weekend, and you'd still get the record. Yeah. And so that that was. When I realized that, like, oh, well, maybe, maybe then now is that time. That maybe now is the time when that record is not to say low-hanging fruit, but low enough hanging fruit 
where a relatively normal schmo like me, whose only real skill is that I tend to recover pretty darn fast, um, can can try for this record. Um, and that was that was the thought process that led me on my way. But by the time that came along, I was already registered for the spine. Oh, okay. Uh, right, right. So to be fair to me, uh, <laughs> I, I was already like I already had that on the calendar as something I was going to do. Um, I had already paid my money. I had already been. I already written my application, and I had already been accepted. And I thought, you know, dedicated amateur. <laughs> I don't need to optimize this. This isn't about some perfect run. I can afford to do the spine in this year when I'm doing all this other stuff. <laughs> well, and and. Okay, so yeah, so you start off with the spine, but you also you did not go out and 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 cherry pick easy races. Now I, I have to say this for anybody that hadn't seen your spreadsheet. Okay, I, I'm I'm an IT guy, and um and for those that don't know that you, you're a data analyst, and I was impressed with the spreadsheet, man, because. <laughs> yeah. Because of the you. way you, you had everything laid. In fact, I stole some of your formulas to, to, for, for my spreadsheet. So, yeah, good, I was good, like, good. oh, good. I don't have to figure out how to do this. Walt did it. So, <laughs> so but you – and I know you looked at like kind of geography because, I mean, you know, logistics are, are huge. And you can drive to a lot of them, so you want to hit as many in the area as possible. And I know you did all that, but you did not go out and pick the easy races. Um oh. <laughs> I, mean, I can't. I guess I can't see the point of that. Like, so, so what? Let, first off, let, let me sort of deflate the idea of easy races in the first place, right? I mean, a lot of people, when looking at two races, let's let's actually compare two that I actually did. Like, okay. if someone were looking at something like CNO Canal, and mm -hmm. someone were to set that next to the race I did two weeks before, that Hellbender, You'd have no, you'd have no like ultra runner who would say that they think Hellbender is the easier race. You know, Hellbender um, summits the tallest peak east of the um, east of the Mississippi, rather. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a huge endeavor. It's you know, it throws all sorts of gnarly footing at you and these huge climbs. I believe it has something like twenty five thousand feet of climb. It took me about twenty eight hours to do. Um, you know, by contrast, uh, CNO Canal is a flat run along the Potomac River. Um, there is never any technicality. I ran almost the entire thing without a headlamp because you just didn't need it because there was nothing that would ever trip you up. It was like road running. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I ran it. I ran that in 19 hours. You know, almost exactly nine hours faster than, than Hellbender. And yet. <laughs> And yet, if asked which one I would voluntarily go back and do again, oh, of course it would be Hellbender. <laughs> I mean, CNO Canal beat the crud out of me. My, I, I hurt for a while after that. It's a, you know, flat races are tough. Yeah, um, yeah, I could. <laughs> and, and they're tough in the same way that like a marathon is. You know, people say, like, oh, I'd run a marathon, but I can't imagine running a hundred miler. You know what? If you ran a hundred miler, you'd think a very different thing about that because my marathons. When I ran marathons, and I'm going to fully intend to go back to them next year, but you know, when I run marathons, they're hard. Mm -hmm. They're genuinely difficult because you can push so hard and so precisely in a marathon. There's, there's never going to be, oh, um, there's, there, I, in this marathon, there's a 6,000-foot climb up here, and I need to you know, <laughs> take it easy and 
walk that. No, there's, n- there's never something like that. Well, unless you're doing the Pikes Peak Marathon, but yeah. you know, for the most part, in your in your road in road races, uh, it's all about a relatively smooth, flat running experience with a few good, you know, challenging rollers in there, and uh, and maybe a, a single good climb is probably going to be like a couple hundred feet. Um, and because of that, because it's so measured and so even you can pull really fast paces and you can beat the crap out of your legs and you can finish mm. that feeling like someone just took a bat to you for the last three hours. Um, whereas with a, you know, with something like Hellbender, the very, uh, the very difficulty of the course and the fact that there's some points in that race when you're just pulling yourself up by trees, like the only option you have to move forward <laughs> is to grab onto roots and, you hope they don't pull out of the ground. Um, you know, that's many things, but it is not cardiovascularly taxing. Um, yeah. And it is not pounding your legs through sheer force of impact with with a hard pack or asphalt. So yeah. you come out of those having an entirely different kind of difficulty or difficult experience. You may not finish Hellbender, but if you do finish Hellbender, you'll probably come out of it in a little better shape than when you finish, say, a fast run of the of like you know the Chicago Marathon or something like that. Uh, well, so. I I guess I guess I guess my my thing uh, or my question with it is our our observation is for for one like a, a CNO Canal or even like uh, Umstead, which is relatively flat. You can even if you you can back off and and I don't want to I don't don't ever want to say a hundred miles a gimme, but you can you know. With pretty good confidence, you you can get it done, even if you have to really back off and and just power walk a whole lot. But some of these that you, <laughs> that you're doing, because especially in the mountains, because I mean you've got, you know you well you've got the Bighorn here, which I heard was a, a sloppy mess this year. You got Silver Heels, you got Ure again, you know these big tough mountain races, and you know some of these things can 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 derail you pretty good, man. <laughs> You know they they absolutely can. I I will I will not deny that those are difficult races, but they're races that are well suited to me. I mean mm-hmm. I'm not a gazelle person. I'm a you know me. I'm a short, stocky dude. I weigh 175 and I'm five foot six. You know, um, <laughs> I, I'm mostly just a block of meat. Uh, um, you know the, things like Bighorn or Old Cascadia or Silver Heels or Uray or Hellbender. Or you know all, all of these really vertically oriented races, they suit me really well. Um, mm. I can I can I can hike the hell out of them. Um, yeah. And whereas on the other hand, uh, you know a CNO Canal or a um, a um, not, not Riverlands, but like um, a Vermont or Umstead, you know these races that uh, yeah they have verticality but it's all a, a sort of measured rolling verticality. Yeah. Um. Those uh, I yeah I was never feeling like I wouldn't finish those. Um. But the way that they want to be run makes them dif- just as difficult. And I guess that's kind of what right. I mean there. Right. They, right. They they want to be run a little faster. And if you take them at their if you take them at what they're offering you. Uh, that's when they they really deal their damage. Yeah, and and by their nature, because there there's not a huge uh, variation in terrain, you're you're using those you know more of the same muscle groups and just yeah wearing it out. <laughs> Absolutely. So 
so you've been you've been you've done all these these races and then uh, when i need to throw in that um when you came to owasso oklahoma um you chose because the buckle i'm quoting you here because the buckle was so nice and when you did the lotsi uh race instead of doing the 100 <laughs> you did the 200 and the lotsi 200 is uh a paved what is it 1.15 1. 1. 1. yep. miles a, a, a 175 times to get your 200 miles you know in my defense i have the lotsy <laughs> buckle in my hand right now okay um, all right it, it is it is very beautiful uh it i, is, I like looking at this thing um and and do rather often uh this custom work by molly's custom silver it's just such a such a pretty rodeo style buckle and I will probably never, ever, 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 ever wear it. Um, but man, is it is it nice? Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. So I, I'm I'm a I'm a unapologetic bucklehead. Um, the reason I have the Lotsi, uh, the reason I had the Lotsi buckle here to even have in my hand is that here at work I have two desks, and these two desks are placed in an L formation, and I pretty much don't use the bottom spur of the L, so I just laid out every buckle that I own on on that. They take up the entire desk on that side, um, and I did this so that I could organize them by who made the buckle, and that would help me in writing my, um, my in writing my uh, buckleheads guide that I've been writing. <laughs> Yeah, I've been enjoying um, that, man. I've learned. Yeah, I've learned a lot about the buckles, man. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm like two pages into the next into the next entry. Uh, I feel bad because I've just been so busy with work lately. I haven't had time to to devote to it. But there's another part coming out to that, but um, about buckle artwork. Uh, and but yeah, I mean, it's just I I love the artwork behind these buckles, and there's just something about uh, there's just something about them. I just enjoy looking at them. Uh, so yes, I have them all laid out here. Nice, nice. <laughs> well, you you've got you've got a rather uh, varied collection then. So yeah. so, I totally do. I totally do. And and I want to keep adding to it with more and more fascinating and weird stuff from around the buckle world. So. Well, I, I'll definitely uh, you know I'll put links in the show notes to all your all your stuff, and I'll definitely link to your 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 bucklehead your write ups there and everything. Oh, but, yeah, uh, cool. Yeah. So, so, okay. So you're, you're at, um, so Tonal Hill this week, that was 43, correct? That was 43. Yes. 43. All right. And so you've, you've got, man, you're at the, you're at the home stretch, dude. I mean, I mean, you still got some, some, some stuff to run, but you're, you've broken the record and now everything is, is gravy after that. Um, I mean, (laughs) yeah, I mean at this point, so I have seven, I have seven more schedule yeah. here um actually sorry no i have eight more scheduled in the year so i actually have 51 on the calendar okay gotcha um, but i'm honestly if i make it to 50 i'm not doing the 51st really um, <laughs> <You> get- <laughs> yeah because the 50, 50 and 51 are a double at across the years oh um, gotcha yeah and if i yeah. yeah i'm not gonna do a double if i don't have to let's <laughs> let's be honest I'm going to I'm going to bust open a bottle of tequila, um, take a few shots and probably pass out right on the ground. It'll be great. Um, but uh, um, yeah, so I, I have I have eight more. Um, I have a track race this weekend, then a pretty gnarly one out in the mountains of Alabama after that. 
then another oh, Blood Rock. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Blood Rock quite a bit. Um, mm. That one seems like a really neat experience. Um, and I happen to know from my previous race in Alabama that there will be some amazing banana pudding at at least one of the uh, eight stations. <laughs> nice. And I'd be lying if I didn't say I was looking forward to that. Um, and then, yeah, from, from there, like, I have uh, I have just, just some kind of fun ones. Uh, I have another 24-hour after that. And then I have heading up to Devil Dog in Virginia. And then Lou Guru, which I will get yeah. to see you at. Yeah. Yeah, um, you you should. I should be there. <laughs> oh, hope so. Hope so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I should 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 be planning planning on being there. I don't know if I'll be. I probably won't be running, but uh, I would love to go hang out with my people out there. And I'll, I'll if I, if I'm there, I'll uh I'll be glad to share some miles with you, man. Pace you a little bit out there. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Love that. yeah. And then uh, after that, uh, ancient oaks, and then across the years, and that that actually finishes out the year. So, man, sweet, sweet, uh-huh. and. Yeah, and so it's it it's really been cool watching watching the journey and and um, it's what's been crazy is is seeing you know you're not the only one uh, has has been you know going for kind of a, a records as far as the the hundreds are, are going and it's been fun watching you and uh, um, uh, Michael and Billy and uh, you know just kind of running races together hanging out I mean what in Miami y'all y'all ran together the whole time <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> so, so that's that's been like the most serendipitous, wonderful, weird thing about this year. So, so Ed, Ed set the record in 2014. And so far as I can tell, it was dormant from then until this year. And then I started saying, okay, I think I might try this out. And I I didn't really tell it to more than just friends and, you know, put a few things out there to people that I knew. Um, and then I find out once I'm out there that like independently, totally independently, without any like prompting or anything like that, two other people are also trying for the same or similar records in the same year. Like what are the chances of <laughs> no three people all going for this thing all at the same time, all having arrived at that just on their own? I guess the zeitgeist <laughs> was really just telling us where to go here, but um, – <laughs> But, you know, when I first heard about it, I was, of course, a, a little paranoid. I was like, oh, yeah. my God, it's, it's, uh, I guess I'm not going to just, you know, this is not going to be just a thing I'm doing. I'm now going to have to worry about what other people are doing. And and honestly, that was that was a dumb way to think about it because um, – so the other two people, for reference, uh, um, first one is Billy Richards. Uh, mm-hmm. Billy Richards is basically going after the same thing that I am, which is the – most completed races in a year mm-hmm. so 100 mile or greater races um and uh that's the that's the record that we, we've both been that i've been like mentioning all along you know the, the one that went from 36 under liz bauer to 41 under ed and now uh 43 so far for me um so billy's going after the same thing that that i am um Billy's twist is that he carries the flag the whole way. Um, right. He is a uh, he's a seven year veteran of two different armed uh, armed services, Army and Marines, nice. and so uh, he's um, you know he he's done a lot for veterans causes in general in the past, and now it's uh, that's his kind of way of showing support uh, is is that uh, that flag that he carries. He's carried that in something like 400 races, I think. That's crazy. Total. Yeah, if you count all of his uh, Spartans and other things like that. Um, he's based out of Long Island. Uh, 
And then the other person is um, is Michael Ortiz, and Michael Ortiz is doing a slightly different thing. Uh, Michael Ortiz is just trying to run 100 miles every weekend for as many consecutive weekends as he can. Now, for him, that doesn't necessarily mean a race. It can just mean he goes and runs 100 miles on his own, or it can mean, like, if he if he's at a race and, you know, something happens and he isn't able to finish the race, he'll he'll just do it somewhere else. You know, he'll he'll leave the course and find a park somewhere and finish out the 100 miles. So the important thing is just that he reaches 100 miles in a weekend. Gotcha. Um, and I'll be quite honest, having these guys out there has been one of the coolest things ever because, <laughs> I mean, talk about people that you can talk shop with. Yeah, no kidding, man. <laughs> I, the, the peop- and people that understand exactly what you're going through. Uh, it's been so, 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 so very nice um, to, to have people out there who are, uh, who are just, you know, they're doing what I'm doing and they know it and that I can I can complain about stuff and they're like yeah they they get it completely and to have both of them just be such you know just generally cool dudes um yeah you know Billy has just been uh Billy has been a crack up to get to know um he's slow to open up but once he once he get you know on the inside he's he's just a cool guy and then uh Michael might just be the most personable human being I've ever met uh, um yeah. And then we, we got to spend the entire 100 miles together at Miami the first time that, that actually occurred, we, we where we ran an entire race together. And, uh, I mean, talk about a clash of the, the different worlds. You had Billy trudging along with his, uh, with his flag, you know, strong, silent type. And then Michael and I are going back and forth singing pop songs at the top of our lungs. I think we were probably embarrassing the hell out of poor Billy. And, uh, <laughs> Telling terrible uh, jokes and <laughs> oh my god, the jokes were terrible. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we oh we both thrive on just dumb dumb jokes. Uh, and and Billy, I think he was just thought we were gonna get him stabbed or something. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was fantastic. I, I was I was enjoying watching the video updates during Miami as they were coming in. I, I was yeah, you guys had me cracking up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh good, yeah, good. Yeah. Well, and, and and I got to meet Michael at a at, at a Lotzi. He he was there too, and so yeah. I, I got to share a few miles with him too, and uh, get to know him. And uh, good good guy, man. And so it's it's been yeah, it's been fun watching you guys uh, kind of crisscross and uh, and have fun together. So yeah, yeah it's it's been great. it's been great. I I just uh, I adore those guys, and I'm I'll, I'll be glad. So we're running. Um, so Michael and I are running the Stinger together, and then Billy and I are running Blood Rock together. Nice. And then uh, all three of us are running Ancient Oaks together. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. Uh, in fact, really cool thing. Um, uh, not just that, Ed is also going to be there. So Really? Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's going to be a really big deal. Like all three of us and Ed all at the, uh, all at the event. Um, and uh, I, I think um, – Actually, yeah, I, that's that. Those are the confirmed people. So I, I think that's just that's just gonna be cool. Like I, I'm so looking forward to yeah, to that. right at yeah, and your second to last one at you know at the end of the, yeah, that's cool, man. That's yep. gonna be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so you know, watching you and and um, do all these races and stuff, man. And and uh, when I saw you at at uh, at Lotzi, and I, you haven't 
lost a whole bunch of weight or anything, man. I thought, you know, you might be shriveling down to, to nothing. And, uh, I mean, have, have you, have you lost any weight at all? Like poundage wise? <laughs> um, it's funny that you said, cause you're not the only person who's, who said that, like, uh, uh, Lee Connor, um, a runner from, uh, and another amazing human being from Ohio, uh, said the same thing she's like you're just gonna shrivel up into nothing and then she saw me part of the way through the year he's like she's like what you still have arms why <laughs> yeah like what are you eating what are you how did this happen <laughs> and the answer is uh, i'm eating everything my, my body okay. is, my body won't allow i mean i'm a former fat guy uh i still have the the eating instincts of a fat guy and um you know my body won't uh allow me to to go long and with without keeping eating so yes i have i have lost some weight um i'm currently sitting at the high 160s to low 170s okay um which is uh you know that's a about five to ten pounds lower than i would normally be uh but you know i haven't really lost much strength because i still do weight training mm -hmm. and uh i'm one of those you know depending on how you phrase it fortunate or unfortunate people who, if I, you know, happen to look to look sideways at a weight room, I'll, I'll grow an extra bicep. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I just, I put on muscle very easily is my point. And well, I don't know if you remember this. When we were running together at Tahoe, you said something kind of to that effect, like, I've been trying to slim up to be a better runner and I just can't, you know? So I just, I, just, I yeah, I'd have to starve myself. Um, and I'd have to, I think more, uh, unacceptably i'd have to stop weight training and i like weight training i, I don't know yeah. I, well and it's and it's good for i mean with the type of uh type of running and things you're doing it's it's good you need the strength you need the core strength you need the balance you know so yeah it, 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 it i think i think if you tried to do that it'd be denying who you who you are you know who you you know the way you were made to be <laughs> yeah and i think as injury prevention the fact that yeah. i'm carrying a lot of extra muscle is probably a pretty positive thing yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I have a tendency to injure myself once per year, which with as okay. much as I run, uh, is a pretty, yeah. pretty good stat, you know, I'll yeah. take it. <laughs> so what was your injury this year? <laughs> um, all the things, all the, everything, okay. everything's just dying. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the funny thing is it usually shows up about this time of year. In fact, hmm. I can say with, with pretty good certainty that it's been about this time of year in the last couple of years that something has sidelined me. And I've, at this point I've made it further than, uh, than the last, it was all, it was in October the last two years. So, uh, here I am in November. Yeah. I, I nice. curse may be broken. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a torn meniscus and then, um, a form of kind of extreme tendonitis that took me out pretty suddenly and caused me a DNF at Havelina last year. Hmm. So, yeah. Well, so so you've broken the record. You've got you've you've got to finish off this year, and you've got next year. You're you're kind of sitting back a little bit, right? I, I know you're doing. Uh, you're gonna do the Bigfoot 200 because because uh, I'll see you there. But uh, next next year you're just gonna kind of work on some other things, right? Yeah. I mean, um, my uh, my main priority next year is just to uh, one help out the girlfriend. Uh, mm -hmm. she's been very, very patient this year. My goodness, hasn't she been patient? Um, so 
Uh, yeah, she she knew what she was signing up for. You know? She did know. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, the project predates her in my life. Um, so she knew what she was in for when she signed up for this. Uh, and uh, at any rate, um, so but she gets next year. Uh, and with with me acting as the support crew and her choosing the races. And so the only thing she knows is that Western states is always is always sacrosanct. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, like you know, I'm doing what what she wants. And um, in the meantime, I will work on getting some of the speed back that I've lost in, you know, racing every single weekend. Because um, I want to go back and I want to try and get a BQ. Um, nice. A BQ, you know, enough previous times to know that I can do it. Uh, so want to get go back and do that again because um, that's just a sign that I'm in pretty darn good shape. And then I, I do want to find one fast race to run next year, one fast hundred to run next year, because um, I'd I'd like to aim for a a sub sixteen hundred. Mm. Um, so that's yeah. Those are my those are my two goals: one fast marathon, one fast hundred, and other than that, just support the girlfriend and what she's doing. So nice, nice. Well, and and then I'm. Before I I I, um, I want to throw kind of some questions I always ask at the at the end of a, a podcast. But before we do that, um, I don't know how much you want to talk about it and put it out there. But you've got there's some rumblings or some plans for 2021. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm fine with putting that out there. I mean, okay. At, at this point, I've now proven to myself more than anyone else that when I set my mind to this stuff, I can actually you know follow through with it. So I'll I'm gonna I'll just say that. For 2021, the the thing I'd like to do is to try for the most 200 mile races in a year. Isn't it crazy uh, how I many know, there right? are now? <laughs> I, it's a, it really is amazing, and more are coming out all the time. Um, so it, it and it looks and humorously enough, it looks like that in 2021 I will also have another person who's going forward at the same time. So it'll be another year where there's not just one of us out there. Oh, um, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, uh, you may remember him from uh, Lotsi, James Delorme. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he will be. Uh, he's actually currently setting the record right now for the most 200s, which is the one that we will both be aiming to beat in 2021. So I believe after this year, if he does all that he expects to do, um, I believe the record will be set at 10 in a year. Nice. Uh, okay. So yeah. So he's setting the bar, and then we're both going to be trying to leap it in uh, 2021. Nice. Well, um, we'll definitely be following that along too, man. It's going to be cool. <laughs> I, I hope it's going to be cool. I, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Uh, there's some cool stuff out there. The the rule I'm going to set for that one is that the race has to be between um between two and four hundred miles to count. And uh, okay. So I, I think that'll allow me to do um some of the really interesting ones that have just started to to come out, like California Untamed mm. and uh, the the Vol like Vol State. Um, mm, wow. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, man, I, 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 it's late and I know you've, uh, you know, you've had a full day of work and everything. And, uh, but I like to finish off with kind of, a, um, just a, a series of questions asking, uh, kind of w- some of the things that you, you use while you're, while you're running. And so, yeah. uh, I know the answer to some of these, but I'll let you kind of explain it. Um, so first, what are you using for a hydration pack? Oh yeah. Um, so I, I am pretty much exclusively Osprey in that department. Um, I mean, uh, when I first 
I'm a gearhead, so I I tried like everything. I I've owned two Salomon, two Ultimate Direction, um, an Arcteryx. Uh, I haven't owned an Ultra Aspire yet, but I've used one. Um, and you know, I just I kept cycling through stuff, and just it, it, none of it seemed to be what I was looking for. And then I tried Osprey, uh, kind of on a whim when they first released their their uh, Duro series. And the thing I realized pretty quickly was that um, they had something kind of unique to them that other ones didn't have, which was they were actively sacrificing um, lighter weight for more usability. That is to mm. say, they weren't like Salomon does. Like Salomon aims to cut weight almost at all costs, and I think yeah. that that lowers their durability. And I think in some cases, it more importantly, it lowers their usability. Um, because usability is a big deal on the, on the fly out there. Mm. Uh, and I think that uh, the way that Osprey does things, where they purposefully add weight in order to make certain features uh, much more easy to use, much more user-friendly in general, um, I, I just think they've, they've done a good job. For example, their, the, the walls of their packs, such as the, you know, like the... The, the two pieces that come the two vest pieces that come across in front and and you know hook together and the back of it where the where the uh, hydration pouch sits they're not ultra light super thin mesh they're actually the same three dimensional mesh that they use on their um, on their like large backpacking packs hmm. uh, it it means that if you were to set one against a wall you could actually like lean it against a wall and it has enough structure to stay vertical on its own it would oh. just slump down to the ground like uh you know the the much lighter weight ones it, it mm. actually has its own distinct shape that it keeps and the result of that is i think that it um it bounces far less than most packs that i've encountered yeah um, even when it's loaded down with a, a decent amount of stuff uh, it just tends to keep its shape really well nice nice that's yeah, and I remember that from uh from from Tahoe. That, that was your baby. <laughs> yeah, so. and it still it still is. I own six of those things. And so, oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> well, you need them for yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and uh, so that's hydration pack. You do Osprey, and then trail shoes. What are you wearing, man? Um, trail shoes. So I I have the the vast misfortune of having uh, duck feet, like extremely extremely wide feet. Um, and so. <sighs> You know, when you are so limited in your shoes, you, the answer to "Hey, what are you wearing?" is whatever works. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm so wide, I can't even wear most ultras. Um, wow. That's a that's a real problem. Yeah. I love, <laughs> yeah. I love ultras. Man, I I love the the new Lone Peak. I love the Timp. I love the Superior. But, but like that's all I can wear from them. Yeah. Um, I can't wear the the Olympus. It's got too much structure. It squishes my feet. Um, so, <laughs> in the end, um, uh, the company that I found that makes the shoes that are most um, correctly shaped to my feet are, is the British company Innovate. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they they have a width scale on their shoes, a one to five width scale, and I can wear any of their shoes that are a four or a five, basically, uh, mm -hmm. and. They're just super cozy. Um, of late, I've been wearing a shoe called the Park Claw. It's what I wore for the Moab 240 
It's what I wore for Javelina both years that I ran it. Um, it's just a, it's basically like someone took a, tr- a road shoe and just mm-hmm. put an aggressive trail sole on it. But otherwise, it's exactly like a road shoe. Um, nice. Yeah, so it's a fantastic shoe. Love it. Well, speak, speaking of shoes, how, I mean, how many pairs have you gone through this year so far, uh, roughly? <laughs> More than I really care to yeah. think about. <laughs> okay. um, it's gotten to the point where I like, I keep them even though they're just, they, um, just a pile of material. <laughs> oh God, yeah, they totally are. Like I have a, I have a pair of Timps actually sitting here in my office that I look at them and I just think, oh no, I, I really should throw those. Away. Oh, but I can't throw them away. But they've got holes in the toes and holes on the sides, and they're, I don't know what color they were originally, but now they're just brown. Um, so you know, I'm just so reluctant to throw a pair of shoes away. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. I, I hang on to them until they just don't function anymore. Right. Yeah. And minor to that point. So. <laughs> nice. Well, um, so uh, what are you using for for uh, for lighting on the trail? Headlamp, waist lamp. You you said you. Yeah. Uh, so I'm always a waist lamp person, no matter what. Gotcha. Um, yep. And uh, if if allowed to be minimal enough, I will I will sometimes just take a little headlamp and just wear it around my waist. But hmm. in any race where it really means something to have lighting it's it's all about the kogala um like i those guys contacted me back when i did the triple crown um and normally when a company contacts you about something i just feel like the the proper response is skepticism yeah and it's like oh okay you, you just you're selling something or you you know and i because when i first saw the kogala honestly i thought it was a little gimmicky it's like why would you really want that um and then I used it for the first time, and what a fantastic piece of tech. I mean, hmm. like, it is just – the quality of light that you get out of that thing is just uh, – I think is unmatched. And that's really why I continue to, to use it in situations where lighting actually matters. Like, I, I wouldn't wear anything else for a 200. It's yeah. it, the combination of the, the comfort of, of wearing it plus the, the visual comfort of the light – by which I mean, um, when you're wearing it, in front of you might as well be day. It's not like running at night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and that that kind of uh, that kind of effect is just so pleasant. Um, and the fact that you can wear it and just not think about about lighting. Um, no, you know. Yeah, and it's it's huge having. Uh, I totally believe in in having a, a light on the waist too, because you can actually, you know, you can see depth. You um, it you can Absolutely. you can see you know what you're. I don't trip nearly as I still trip, but I don't trip nearly as much at night, you know, with the waist light. So that's yeah. yeah and and I know that I know that you use the the Ultra Spire waist lamp, which mm-hmm. I also have. Um, and I actually wore that at um, I wore that just last week in a Tunnel Hill. Mm. Uh, you know, it's something I still think is a fantastic product. Um. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm so shocked that more companies haven't gotten on board with this whole waste lamp thing. Cause like, yeah. it's, it's where it's at. Um, yeah. you know, it is just the be- like the objectively best place to have, um, a light that the trade-off being that because it's on your waist, you do need a higher quality light. And I think that's yeah. probably why. Like only companies that that really put together boutique stuff, companies like Ultra Aspire or a company like Kogala, which mm-hmm. exists to do no other thing but to put together a nice waist lamp. I think that's probably why more of them haven't. It's because the quality of light you need is just just that much higher. 
Yeah, and 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 I don't know about you, but just I mean, I still have I have I have other headlamps and things like that. But you know, when you're out for five six hours at night and just had that the weight of the headlamp on your forehead, it just kind of gets annoying oh, yeah. after a while. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, it gives me a headache. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's that's uh, illumination at night. Uh, what are you doing for uh, for GPS? What watch you wear? Oh, you're 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 touching some sore spots there. <laughs> oh, oh, come on, man. <laughs> um, so currently, I'm wearing the Sunto Nine. Okay. Um, the thing is, though, that like I uh, I want to like Sunto so much more than they let me like them. <laughs> um, you know, I I want to. Uh, I, can, maybe it's the contrarian in me, but I kind of want to wear the thing that not just everyone's wearing. I want to wear the the you know the boutique product in a sense, yeah. um, or the 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 rarer product out there. And Sunto is definitely that. And I think that the Sunto Nine Titanium is just such a sexy piece of tech. Um, mm. So it's the Sunto with the titanium bezel and the sapphire lens on it. I mean, this thing can take a beating. It's an amazing performer, um, but man, does Sunto software suck. <laughs> okay. I mean, they they need to do, yeah. they need to put about twice the budget into their software R and D, and they could they could take major market share from from Garmin, but until yeah. they do that, uh, Garmin is going to be is going to remain the default. And I, after spending several months, uh, Having my Sunto not able to connect to, um, to or not able shouldn't say not able to connect, but not able to upload my activities that were longer than a few miles. Um, and uh, you know, if someone checks my Strava to this day, there's a huge gap in the middle of the year. All mm. of those events are just lost. Yeah. Now, I wore my watch through those. My watch recorded those entire things. They're stuck on the watch forever, so far as I can tell. Um, <laughs> And, and Sunto technical support, despite a lot of back and forth, has not been able to to help me with that. Like that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, having lost like five or six hundred milers with with data that I really wanted to look at, I do go back and look at my data and mine it for how I can do better, for what I did wrong. Um, you know, these things help me remember my race and help me improve my performance. So to have certain events just irrevocably get stuck on the on the watch where I cannot even look at a thing about them aside from their duration and you know overall statistics I I just I I consider that to be a quite a a killer yeah they've they've come a lot I have this I have this soon the Sunto 9 too and uh and some of the latest updates have have helped quite a bit but um yeah I've had I've had a few issues myself but uh, lately it seems to have been better <laughs> yes and I, I i agree it has been better um all of my recent events have uploaded with the exception of one there's one that is still stuck on the watch for whatever reason um <laughs> cannot figure out i think it was i think it might have been you that's it's there um yeah you know so like it's still doing that from time to time and it still bothers me that it does do that from time to time um and uh Without something that I can rely on 100%, I find myself really looking back to that Phoenix 6 that just came out <laughs> and thinking, if it can take care of me better than the Sunto 9, maybe I should do that. So I, I love my Sunto. It's it's one of my favorite pieces of tech, and, yeah. and I wish that their software was half as good 
as their hardware. Yeah. All right. So Cento 9 for now. And uh, what do you do? I don't, I was trying to remember this. What do you do? What's your, your main nutrition and electrolytes when, you know, when you're running all these races, what are, what are you using? Um, so I recently switched over to salt stick chewables for electrolytes. Huh, okay. Uh, I think they're just like the best darn thing ever. Um, they're, they're nice cause they're, they're, you know, on their own electrolytes, because I, I like to actually keep a lot of my things separate. Um, so they're electrolytes on their own, um, and yet you don't need to swallow them like a pill. You chew them up. Um, mm. Makes them much easier to take while out there on the trail, especially if you are like me and carry very little water with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, no. my, my mouth is often dry when I'm out there, and I... I can't really dry swallow a pill that's just going to stick like super glue to the roof of my mouth <laughs> or to my tongue. Um, so instead, I get something that I can chew up, and that's been that's been a game changer. I buy them in bulk now. Um, nice. Uh, and for nutrition, I have a cast iron stomach. I I just eat whatever's out there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> whatever whatever looks good at the time, right? Yeah. Though though I have had. Um, like a recent change of heart with regards to carrying calories. Cause one of the things I never really liked about gels is that, I mean, aside from them just being gels and kind of being yeah. terrible, uh, they're almost always a hundred calories. Yeah. Like I don't like just carrying a hundred calories and dealing with all of that, the hassle and all that waste just to get a hundred calories out of the thing. When you're running hundreds only, it's not a very good, it's not a very good deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I've recently taken to uh, the Spring Energy Speed Nut, um, mm-hmm. which is a 250-calorie gel. I've um, seen those, but I haven't haven't tried them yet. How, how's the flavor on that, man? They're the flavor good? the flavor is thoroughly acceptable. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Thoroughly a, acceptable. It's completely edible. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, it's food. It's food. You know. Well, th- so that's the thing about the about the. Um, about the speed nut is they really are food they're like they're like if you look at the ingredients it's like basmati rice bananas almonds berries um you know it's not it's not a a weird concoction that feels like it was come up with in a laboratory it's something you actually could replace with a food processor and a cart full of produce um and because of that it has a different texture It, it tastes like something that came out of a blender um and which makes it a much lighter consistency. It doesn't stick to your mouth as much. Um, you can take it even when you're pretty dehydrated. Um, it's got a huge amount of calories. And the basic speed nut version has a little bit of caffeine as well. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just a it's just something that I've taken to carrying all the time as kind of an emergency backup, like. Um, you know, in case of emergency, break glass, <laughs> take speed nut. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that I, I used to not really just worry about it and just eat whatever was at an aid station. But now I carry with the, those with me almost all the time. Nice. Nice. Cool, man. Cool. Well, well, man, I I really appreciate sharing some of your journey, and maybe maybe after the the year's done, and um, you know, you're you're you've got fifty of them. We'll have to maybe uh, sit down and do another little, little celebratory uh, podcast, a little maybe a little shorter, and just kind of, I don't know, just just 
talk through what uh what you learned through the process yeah. and stuff, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy to catch up, man. Any anytime. Cool, cool. And I, I hope to hope to be able to see you at Lugaru, man. And I hope you, you bring your cast iron stomach with you because there's gonna be lots of gumbo and boudin and all kind of yummy oh, Cajun food, man. man. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't need a cast iron stomach to process that. I just I just need to be me. Uh, Cajun <laughs> food is is my catnip. <laughs> It's great. Yeah, yeah you, you, you're, you're going to have a good time out there, man. Good. Well, good. well man, th- thanks a bunch, and uh, I'll see you soon. Indeed. See you around, David. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that as much as I enjoyed the conversation with Walt. Always interesting. Always a lot of information. Uh, always just a just a good time. Uh, so, guys, uh, hey, if if you're not uh, subscribed to the podcast, make sure you subscribed and uh, look us up on Instagram and uh, Facebook, and make sure you're following along there because uh, there are some posts along the way with about future uh, interviewees and future podcasts and things going on. And uh, be sure and share it if you find it interesting, man. Make sure and share it on social media. Let people know what we got going on. We've got another good one next week. Uh, another uh, just really interesting. Uh, individual I'll just kind of whet your appetite another interesting individual who's done some great things in ultra running and is gonna do some more uh, great things and so uh, guys uh, thanks so much for listening I hope you have a having a great day looking forward to spending some time with you guys next week again take care